The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand cave rescue operation. What is schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? engagement How long before gift? a wedding should I send out How many save games the dates? Are in the first series Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to the Voices of Search podcast and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we'll share the news, knowledge, and strategies you need to navigate the ever-changing world of SEO. Ready to expedite your company's organic growth efforts? Sit back, relax, and get ready for your daily dose of search engine optimization wisdom. Here's today's host of the Voices of Search podcast, Tyson Stockton. Hey, what's going on? My name is Tyson Stockton from previsible.io. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing generative AI content. Joining me today is Kristen Tinsky, who's the co-founder and SVP creative at Fractal, which specializes in increasing its clients' search rankings, brand engagement, and authority through harmony of technical SEO, content development, and digital PR strategies. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. All right. Here's my conversation with Kristen Tinsky, co-founder and SVP creative at Fractal. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. So I came across your work through LinkedIn. You've been offering a bunch of great free scripts for SEOs and other people to kind of get a little bit more into the automation and leveraging some of these tools around generative AI content. So I really wanted to have you on the podcast. One, highly recommend everyone to check out the information and resources that you've been providing. It's one of my favorite things about like our industry is just the open nature and kind of yeah sharing of resources. So I'll just plug it right away. Be sure to check out, look up Kristen on our LinkedIn page and some of the stuff. But with that too, I think I really wanted to hear your perspective on 
some of these best practices for utilizing these tools in the generative AI space. Obviously, ChatGPT has been stealing most of the narrative around like news in our industry. But maybe just to kind of set the stage from a high level, how do you think about ways of applying generative AI into the work that you're doing with your clients? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I I think we're all sort of collectively trying to figure out what all of the potential use cases are of large language models like ChatGPT. I think it really, like there are a few that are obvious, right? So there's there's content generation, which you see a lot of people already talking about. But there's some interesting ways to like significantly improve the quality of the results that you're getting from these models. And the two things that I've been thinking about most that I've incorporated into some of these, these experiment example Python scripts really come down to one, prompt chaining, which is essentially giving GPT-3 some input, getting an output back from it, and then using the output to do a secondary request to chat GPT or GPT-3 getting the response back from that, and then using that as the input for a third prompt and so on. So a chained process of iterating through prompts and responses to get a more refined result or to generate more data all at once. And so we can talk more about that and some examples of the things that I've done so far, but the potential of prompt chaining, I think is pretty extraordinary. And I think we're going to see actually a lot of businesses that crop up that are sort of based on leveraging prompt chains to do discrete types of tasks, some startups that will, will be doing that in conjunction with some other things. So the second part is utilizing external data sets as part of what you're injecting into the prompt that you're giving to chat GPT. So this could be in the form of APIs. It could be an existing data set that you have. It could be other AIs. There's really sort of like an infinite number of potential additional data sources that could be applied to these sorts of processes. But I guess overall, I'm really excited about how you can do these sorts of things programmatically and not have to just do it inside of a chat window where you're taking one step, getting the result, then asking another, getting the result. So it can be a very lengthy and uh, involved process if you're not doing it programmatically. But with Python... And with uh, OpenAI's APIs and other APIs, it's pretty easy and pretty reasonable to do it effectively. And even better than that is ChatGPT itself can help you write these scripts, which is sort of the craziest thing to me. I'm not by like any means a great Python programmer, but with ChatGPT's help, I'm probably five times as fast as I would be if I were just trying to do it on my own. So... It feels like a new era to me, and it's a really exciting time to be trying to apply the potential of these this new technology to all of the you know multiple areas of content marketing, SEO, and PR that we we do in our agency. So with that, like one of the fascinating things for me on this like development of technology is how those barriers, as mentioned, have been kind of dropped, where it's like. AI content or generative content isn't something that just started, but it just, it felt like it was a little bit less accessible. And now that barrier of entry, and even to your last point of using GPT for some of the code creation for it, then opens it up to like an even broader audience on like the application. 
But I think on the fundamental level, your approach to this opens up a huge range of possibilities because yeah, if you're going into just the chat window, great, you can still get useful information out, but you're still on one-offs and it doesn't really open up or in my opinion, like take advantage of the whole scale of the opportunity. So with the utilization of the API in Python, I think that just really opens up that potential for scale. And I want to get into kind of the sequence chaining of that. But maybe before we touch on that, any recommendations you have for the listeners on the prompts or the context setting that you would be giving? Because I noticed in looking through some of your scripts that you're not just saying, hey, give me this output. But I saw in some, it's like, as if you were X, Y, and Z journalist or something like that. So I noticed like you're, you're inputting specific like prompts or context to it. Do you have any best practices that you have found better success with or just framework for how people should be thinking of that context to be including in the prompts? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been talking with like GPT-3 and I used GPT-2 before that, which really wasn't sort of on the same level at all. But the more time you spend talking to these models on whatever topic you want, the more you sort of like get an intuition for what sorts of prompts are going to yield the best results. But the way that I like to think about it is as though I'm having a conversation with like the world's most knowledgeable person, but a person that will assume I'm asking for something generic unless I specify otherwise. And so you really have to think about it as like guiding the model through an almost infinitely expansive latent space of possible ways to answer a question. And the more generic your question is, the more generic your answer is going to be. So yeah, there are a lot of things that you can do to to guide it in the direction that you want, but it's all very individual depending on what your, your individual use case is or what you're trying to get out of the model. But certainly I think asking it to assume a certain personality just by saying like, you are a whatever, and then being incredibly specific on what you're looking to get out of it and what format you're looking to get out of it. So it's interesting. I have this memory that's like really crystal clear to me from a lesson in a fourth grade class that I had. And the lesson was to basically write down on a piece of paper between you and a partner, one partner would write down every step of the process in making a pizza. And then the other partner had to use your directions to try and do that. And the exercise was really amazing for me because it made me realize that there's so much like implicit knowledge that we have that we don't necessarily realize needs to be conveyed in order for someone else to follow the directions exactly as you need them to. Even in something as simple as making a pizza, right? Like there's open the refrigerator door, put your hand in, grab the pizza dough, take the pizza dough to the counter. You could imagine going on and on with that. The more you can think of prompting the AI in that way, the better the results that you're going to get out of it. Because for everything that you're not clearly defining, it's going to really make an assumption. And the assumption is going to be based on its most common answer or really the most generic answer to to whatever that question is or whatever that process is that you're trying to do. 
So yeah, it's about specificity in all that you're doing and really clearly defining the role of the AI first and making sure you're being clear on every aspect, not just the data that you want out of it or the response you want out of it, but the style, the voice, uh, really everything, the format. And also I should mention that last week, OpenAI released the API for ChatGPT, which is a little bit different than the API for GPT-3. It's not completely clear to me how different ChatGPT model is from GPT-3's text DaVinci 3, which is like their, I guess their most updated GPT-3 model. It seems like they're sort of on par, the quality of response, but the ChatGPT API has a different API call format where you actually set like the several different parameters. And the first one is like, I think it's called the API for ChatGPT has a different way of asking for the information from the API. And so what you do is you define a system message, which is essentially where you're telling ChatGPT who to be. So it's a description of, say you wanted an expert in X category, or you wanted a certain style or voice of writing. And then after that, it has additional parameters for a user message, a system message, a user message, a system message, and so on. So you're essentially starting the conver- the chat conversation with it in the prompt that is sent to ChatGPT's API, which is different from GPT-3 because really all you're doing there is sending a single prompt. So it's, a, it's just a little bit more specific when you're using ChatGPT because it needs to be in like this back and forth chat format with a system message to define who you want the API or who you want ChatGPT to, to be, the role that they should assume. And being that that... You know, you mentioned just came out last week. By the time this airs, probably a few more weeks past that. But at this stage, and, and you mentioned it's pretty comparable between the two. Like, do you have a personal preference already starting to be created between them? Or is there like maybe as a starting point that you guide users to using one over the other? Like any comparisons that you've come up with that to kind of help guide people of like if they want to dive into this or maybe they've used one and they want to switch and test the other, like any, yeah, any feedback? I honestly think they're pretty comparable. I haven't noticed any major differences. I've heard some people say that they think ChatGPT is superior. I think they're actually both running on either the same underlying model or perhaps a slightly different, slightly more optimized for chat model for GPT, for ChatGPT. Just like anecdotally, I sort of prefer ChatGPT because it's just like a more intuitive interface for me. Whereas, it, like in the if you're using if you're using the playground on OpenAI to interact with um, GPT three, it just it feels more clunky. Although I will say there are some advantages to using GPT three over ChatGPT in that you can define the parameters more in GPT three. So Actually, you can do that in ChatGPT too. You just can't do it in in the uh, chat interface. You have to use the playground on OpenAI.com. But you can change things like the temperature, the length of the returned result, the top P, which is like the diversity of responses that it's giving, which you usually don't really ever need to change. But there are a few use cases where it might be useful. And then the frequency penalty and presence penalty, which are essentially ways of increasing the diversity of the response from the API 
frequency penalty basically decreases the model's likelihood of repeating the same line verbatim and presence penalty increases the model's likelihood to talk about new topics. So those parameters can be useful if you're you're not quite getting the result that you want or it's producing repetitive outputs. Sometimes playing with, with those parameters can significantly improve the results that you're getting. So yeah, you can, on, you can change those parameters on both ChatGPT and GPT-3, but you can only do it through the playground and not through the chat interface that I think most people are used to using when interacting with ChatGPT. Excellent. And kind of moving forward into like sequencing of this, and like I do want to get into kind of best practices that you've come across for the sequencing, but with the descriptions that you've given so far, like obviously you have these different levers, so you have this kind of like testing mindset that you're going into it. Like, okay, is this the quality output that I want? And it sounds like you're going through a process of refinements to have the confidence in the output that then is like, great, it's ready. Now we can do this at a larger scale. When you're getting to sequency, are you doing that at each step and then revisiting it? Like how how do you kind of play with those different levers at each stage that then you're linking together? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. To be honest, I think I've actually had some problems in writing these scripts because I've tried to do too much at once. I think it works a lot better when you take it piece by piece and yeah, refine the prompt that you're using, making sure that the output that you're getting is in the format that you need it to, because you're likely going to have to like split and parse the results from from ChatGPT or GPT-3 between each stage. So like say for instance, you're you're asking the first step in in the plan is to generate based on a topic, generate a list of subtopics. You might ask for 50 subtopics in your first API call. It's just going to give you a string or a text output of that list. You need to parse that list into each individual subtopic to then be iteratively used for the second step, which would be to get a sub-subtopic. So if it's like phishing might be the primary topic, phishing poll might be the subtopic, phishing reels might be another subtopic, and then you would get the third step would be, okay, what's a sub-subtopic of phishing polls or phishing reels? So yeah, being really precise about the output format that you want is important because you're going to have to parse that in some way with Python and then use that data on like a line-by-line basis to feed into the next prompt. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help, and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie-cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. 
Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And so moving away from just kind of one prompt to having the sequencing, can you highlight for the audience too of the possibilities that it opens up to or even kind of like cautionary areas to pay attention to in moving towards the sequencing of prompts using these tools? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've realized is that I'm biased to assume that these large language models can do less than they actually can or that I'm required for some of these steps. And the reality is, you can use ChatGPT at each stage to help you understand what the chain of prompts might look like and how to improve it each time. So it's really about part of becoming good, I think, at prompting is realizing all of the places you can continually ask for help from ChatGPT, asking it first to help you, like basically to interview you to really fully understand what you're trying to do, and then iteratively refining through a conversation with it, how you could improve toward your goal or to develop a plan towards your goal and to do like essentially like a meeting with it to really fully lay out what you're trying to do and make sure that you've been as descriptive as you need to be for ChatGPT to fully understand you and do that by asking a series of questions where you're saying, is there anything else? How would you improve this? Is there any any way to refine this? Could we change this part or that part? Or how would you change this? How would you make it better? If you were a different person or had a different perspective, how would you improve it? So yeah, the, the more sort of question and dialogue you can do is sort of like a preliminary setup step before you even fully define what your prompt chain or your series of prompts are, are going to be. I think working with ChatGPT to really define what those are and make sure that you're not missing anything. Like the most amazing thing to me about these large language models is just the breadth of information that they have. And they're going to know, you're not necessarily going to know what you don't know, but ChatGPT will know what you don't know, at least to some extent. So yeah, that would be my recommendation there. In terms of what can be done with prompt chaining, yeah, the possibilities are really endless. I can speak to some of the scripts that I've written and released on LinkedIn, which by the way, I'm happy to provide if you want to leave uh, them in the show notes and people can try these on their own. But yeah, I can just kind of go through those if that would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely love to include those in the show notes. Anyone in the audience, um, feel free to check out the show notes for some of these examples. But yeah, with that, what's, what's kind of some of your favorite ones that you've produced? Yeah, so the first one that I I did is is basically just like sort of a generic prompt chaining for ideation. So at Fractal, we produce data journalism on behalf of brands, and then we use our PR team to pitch that to journalists. So we're always trying to come up with data-driven ideas that can present something entirely new and newsworthy. And you could ask it just for an idea, right, in a single prompt, in a single response, but you can get much better results if you do it in a chained format where you start by giving it a topic, asking for subtopics as a secondary step. 
using then using those subtopics to define potential data sources. So this is sort of where that that back and forth before you even start this process helps a lot because you can, for instance, understand all of the possible data sources that you might use, right? So like surveys, existing government data sources, proprietary data sources, scrapable sources, social media sources, and so on. So yeah, first defining the topic, then the subtopics, and then all of the relevant data sets or data acquisition methodologies that you might use to get that data. And then based on those three things, the topic, subtopic, and each discrete data set that it generated in the first three steps, use that to generate a list of data-driven ideas that match the topic, subtopic, and data set that it provided in the previous steps. So in an iterative and refining way, you get, first of all, a lot more information than you would get from just a single prompt response. But also it's done like the preliminary legwork and first steps to be able to come up with more original ideas by first defining the data sets that's basing the ideas on and the subtopics that's basing the ideas on. So yeah, so that's one. You can sort of think that of all of the ways that you could sort of take that process to the next step. So you could use it for just for like sort of generic content creation. If you wanted to say, and I think there are a lot of people wanting to do this or trying to do this, develop a large bulk of blog posts, for instance. You could have a multi-step setup where you have topic, subtopic, sub-subtopic, sub-sub-subtopic, and then from that generate titles, and then from the titles generate outlines, and then from the outlines generate each section of the outline, and then put the entire thing together into a full blog post. That includes like an understanding of the hierarchy of the entire thing. So organized into those topics, subtopics, and so on. And then, yeah, so that that was sort of like the second one that I did I called Instant Content Plan. It didn't include the portion for actually like writing the article or anything like that, but it included coming up with blog post titles or content titles. Another one that I put out was called Embedding-Based Clustering using GPT-3 cluster descriptions. So embeddings and clustering are tools of AI essentially that have been around for a long time, but they've gotten significantly better over the last couple of years. And OpenAI offers as one of their APIs an embeddings API. So essentially what the embeddings are doing is taking like a text corpus and converting it into data where the data in each, in the matrix of information in, it, in its trained set is basically the similarity, the semantic similarity between words or between phrases. So what's really useful and interesting about embeddings is they can be used to run clustering algorithms on. So for instance, say you had 10,000 keywords that represented all of the keywords in your particular domain. If you were trying to get like a handle on how those keywords could all be categorized or separated into discrete categories, doing a human doing it, it would first of all take forever and second of all, probably be extremely inaccurate. But by using like this multi-step approach of first taking that corpus of keywords embedding it using either OpenAI's embeddings API, or there are free third-party ones. So Hugging Face has one called Sentence Transformer, which does the same thing. And I, as far as I know, has similar quality to OpenAI, although OpenAI may have updated it recently. I'm not entirely sure. So you get, you basically, you get the embeddings and then you run a clustering algorithm on it, of which there are many. Some do better than others, depending on what your use case is. The clustering separates those individual words or phrases into cluster buckets. So it just gives them essentially a number depending on how many clusters you define. So if you had 10,000 keywords, you might have 500 clusters. 
Um, and then each keyword would be labeled with a cluster and each cluster, all the keywords in any single cluster would be highly semantically related. So that sort of process has been done by SEO people and content people for quite a while. But what's super interesting to me and really like a next step innovation is that you can use GPT-3 to define the clusters as a last step. So once they've been grouped into the cluster categories, you can take, say, cluster one or cluster five, all of the keywords that exist in that that you know are semantically similar and iteratively send it to GPT-3 or chat GPT and ask it, what is this cluster about? And it'll give you a natural language response to what that cluster is about. So instead of having to do like defining the taxonomy yourself from the clusters, maybe going through 500 different ones and, and trying to decipher what are these 50 or these 100 keywords about, GPT-3 can do it automatically for you. So the, the script that I've shared and that you can share too basically automates this entire process. You give it a corpus, keywords, other data, it doesn't really matter. It does the embedding, it does the clustering based on the embedding, and then it does the labeling using GPT-3 to label the clusters automatically. So that has been a really cool one. There's more I can keep going. The next one is uh, content ideas based on intent. So one really interesting thing to me that GPT-3 can do is, is that it can it can make inferences. And like you, you need to be careful with this because it is obviously like prone to confabulation and making things up. But it actually does a really good job of doing things like inferring search intent for a given keyword or creating personas, for instance, which is another script that I did. So when you're doing keyword research or when you're doing a content plan or you're doing content gap analysis or something like that, it's usually really important for you to to try and plan it around search intent and also your target audiences or the personas of your target audiences, which may be very different depending. So yeah, for the automatic content ideas based on intent, basically it it takes a, a set of keywords and then iteratively asks GPT-3 what the most likely intent is of each keyword. And you can, of course, add lots and lots of other additional steps and prompts to further refine what you think, whatever other additional metrics you might like to know and or combine it with API calls to things like Ahrefs or others, So, which can be super helpful, right? So like in the embeddings example of the previous one, if you're if you get the result that I described, clustered uh, keywords, and they also have all of the keyword data attached to them from Ahrefs, then you can do like interesting data visualizations and analysis to be able to say like this particular cluster has you know the most traffic or the lowest competition, or these are the clusters that my site ranks for, that my competitors rank for the best. So yeah, injecting like third-party data from, especially in search, from like Ahrefs or even like using SERP API, which will get you like Google search results. is a really interesting way to go about doing it. And then, um, <laughs> if you want to stop there, I could keep going for a while with it, but... Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think the last one, I mean, all these are super interesting, but in that last one, you're adding a new kind of point to it, which we alluded to like towards the beginning of the episode of using third-party data sources. So you gave out a couple there, 
I guess, two-part question. One, are there other data sources that you would recommend in, even if someone is coming up with their own ideas on application, but any additional data sources that you would recommend? And the second part of the question, any specific best practices of utilizing those? And we could use Ahrefs as an example there. Yeah, I mean, certainly all of the typical SEO tools that people use for getting either keyword data or like domain site level data, I think can be incredibly useful. I obviously haven't exhausted all of the potential ways that you could do it, but the ones that I've played with are using like Ahrefs data, using SERP API to get search result page data, which actually maybe has the most most possible applications. Using Reddit, so Reddit has a really fast and pretty easy to use API to be able to pull posts, titles, comments, do sorting and things like that based on like the number of votes or popularity. And then, yeah, I mean, really a lot of other SEO tools that could be used sort of as like a starting point. So like SEMrush has some stuff that Ahrefs doesn't have. BuzzSumo has, I think, has some interesting data that you can get from it. There's some some interesting data sources for like news stories. There's G, the GDELT API. I'm pretty sure they have an API that can get you news stories, information, connecting it to other social sites. So the Twitter API, although I've heard Elon has sort of made that a lot more difficult than it used to be. It's a lot more expensive anyway than it used to be. But yeah, yeah, really any API. And one of the coolest things is you can ask ChatGPT to help you find or give you ideas about what APIs might exist out there to help you with your particular use case. And yeah, so one that I found recently is like a free image API. So I was, I'm just doing a little experiment where I'm trying to like programmatically create like a, a long complex blog post that also includes images. So other people have heard of it, I'm sure it's called Unsplash basically like royalty-free images, but they have an API. So it's possible, for instance, to have ChatGPT define like different image descriptions and then use those image descriptions as the search parameters for the call to the Unsplash API, which then returns that royalty-free image, which then can be injected into the HTML of the result that you're finally getting at the end. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really limitless. Yeah, and I... I like the concept too of enriching the data, whether it's for visualizations or for further refinements on next steps. But I think that's a super clever kind of take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Data, actually, I just wanted to mention data enrichment is a really interesting use case for these large language model tools. So even sort of outside of SEO, if you had, say, a customer list that had some metadata about your customers, maybe their name, their location, the things that they've bought, you can use that information to like iteratively run through your entire data set and infer like demographic or psychographic information about those people based on whatever data you do have. The more data you initially start with, the better those inferences are going to be. Um, and you need to be careful with it because it's proven to obviously have some bias built into the model because it was trained on human language. But you could certainly do things like develop personas or infer affinities, infer age, infer location, a lot of things. Right. And I like too that throughout 
a lot of your tips and kind of recommendations, you keep coming back to this like conversation with the tool. And I think that's a really nice reminder because yes, it was designed with a different way that we interact. And so it sounds like through each step of your process, you're leaning into that aspect of this to then both come up with things that maybe we didn't, you like didn't think of, or even the sense of just like really leaning into that notion of how these were developed to be used and then being able to apply it in these use cases. Yeah, you really could almost at every single stage of the conversation ask like, is there anything you would add? Are there any issues you see with what we're trying to do? How would you improve this? And then you could do that further with its responses as well. So when it gives you a response back, you could say, how good is this? Could you do better or could you improve it? In, or maybe first, give me a list of categories of how this could be improved. And then for each category, improve it in this way. And yeah, through like a refining process where you're just continually asking it, do better, do better, or be more creative, be more creative, it gets more creative or it gets more proficient to some extent. I mean, it's that's not a perfect process or methodology, but that's the way that I like to think about it is at almost every stage of the conversation, I'm asking it, did I ask you in the right way? Do you have enough information? How could this be made better? Yeah. And then I guess too, just for your own experience, then it gives you ideas for future prompts. And then you're also in just this continuous improvement kind of model. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that wraps up this episode of the Voice of Search podcast. Thanks to Kristen Tinsky, co-founder, SVP Creative at Fractal. In part two of this conversation, which will be published tomorrow, Kristen and I are going to continue the conversation and talk about specifically how to use generative AI for content SEO and PR. So we'll be building off this conversation and kind of continuing it within that vein. If you can't wait until our next episode and you would like to learn more about Kristen, you can find a link to our LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can also find links to these other resources that we've mentioned in the show notes, or you can also contact her on Twitter where her handle is at Kristen Tinsky or visit her company's website at frac.tl. That's F-R-A-C T-L. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast if you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E.io. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T.